podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. I think we should start with the fact, Barat, that people have just realised that perhaps there's too much cricket being played. I thought <laughs> it, it's it's very big three nation to suddenly go, oh, there's no one at one of our games. That means this yeah. format should be that must be in trouble. Completely overlooking the fact that you and I have been to multiple ODI games where like seven people have been in the ground yes. uh, for a very long period of time. And really, outside of a couple of key markets, one-day crowds have, haven't been very good in, in a very, very yeah. long time. Yeah, I think it's also worth saying, and you probably know more, the, but it was like a Tuesday, it was cold, dead yes. rubber, um, yeah. out of cricket season, cricket fans had already spent money going to the World Cup. I think yeah. all that played a part as well. But even so, I, I'm not sure that in the height of summer you're getting more than 20,000 people to that game when it has no context and uh, it just pops up at the end of another series. Yeah, I, there's no surprises that the best crowd we saw during that ODI series uh, happened in Adelaide, Jared. And, and the only reason for that is it was a lovely day in Adelaide uh, and the members came out in full force. I was very surprised when I... And these days uh, I'm very happy to uh, tell let you know that I get a parking pass as well, so I'm I feel quite special. You know, that's when you know you arrived, when you get a parking pass at your home venue. But uh, so as I drove into the parking lot, um, yeah, the grass bank there on the northern side of the Adelaide Oval was packed. And I was like, wow. Like, I My first, my gut feeling was maybe there's a wedding going on. There has to be a wedding going on. Clearly, they haven't <laughs> come here for the ODI. <laughs> because they have so many venues within the oval premise now our premises there so there are weddings but no a, a lot of members came and uh, the english fans had a, a the best opportunity to be on the grass bank under the historic scorecard and, and make the most of the weather uh, but you, you then think of a venue like the mcg which is not i mean it's a great venue but it, it's not the most family friendly venue is it in that sense like where you can just bring the family out for a whole day uh so that you kind of have uh, your eye on the cricket, but you can do other stuff as well. And also at the Adelaide Oval, because the 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 backside to where the dressing rooms are, as you know, where they have all these uh, activities for members, which is basically where most of the members are during the Adelaide Oval test as well for large periods, uh, drinking a lot of wine, as they should. Uh, that was happening as well. So there was enough to keep everyone excited. So 15,000 plus people at the Adelaide Oval for, an, for that ODI was really impressive. And then, like you said, on a cold afternoon in Melbourne, dead rubber as well. That's really, is it worth spending money on that ticket when you could easily save that money up and uh, buy yourself maybe a Boxing Day ticket uh, or even like, you know, one of those days during the Boxing Day test match if you are living in Melbourne. So I think that had a lot to do with it. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm... Yeah, I, I don't know. People just have become overreactive for everything, haven't they? Like to everything in the world. Like that's just how it is. Like one image of one stand with one fan and that's it. The end of the format, end of the world. But yeah, I think people should just take a, to sound very old school, take a chill pill. It's it's not, nothing is ending. And, and you're right. I mean, one day cricket has, uh, since the growth of T20 cricket, it's, T20 cricket is... Uh, 
it's finally achieved what people wanted to achieve with T20 cricket. Family friendly, three and a half hours. You don't have to spend the whole day. Uh, the kids, you can take the kids home before they start getting cranky. You know more about this than I do. <laughs> and it, it's it's perfect. And then test cricket, especially in a country like Australia, is all about culture and tradition. And, you know, test cricket is part of the summer fabric of Australian society, isn't it? So it makes sense. So one day cricket kind of gets left in the... In, in the lurch. And back in the day, one day cricket was always when January, February, uh, mainly. Uh, so school holidays, at least through January, uh, uh, you'd have the kids on holiday. So it made sense to take them there. So yeah, I think, uh, I think someone, someone might listen to this podcast and feel like, uh, I might, I might, Am I sounding like someone who wants to suddenly become a parent, Jared? Or <laughs> I don't know. I've spoken a lot about kids and parenting in the last five minutes. I just assumed you mentioned every time you say that you're just talking about your dogs, but uh, which of course can't <laughs> annoy us on this podcast because you're in your hotel room in Perth. But that is true. Yeah, I think, <laughs> as you said, there's one photo. I think it was Tim Wigmore's photo that went sort of crazy on Twitter to begin yeah, with, yeah. and then there was a bunch of others. And I do understand it, although I would say that the vast majority of the world, ten thousand people at a one day game, is still a success. Yeah, I don't think there's you know you got to remember also. I this always happens with Melbourne. I remember um, there was, a, I think it was for the fifth day of the 2011 Ashes, there was something like mm. twenty or 25,000 people at the, at the last yeah. day and all the England fans were like, oh, look, the Australians haven't turned up. And so that's a f full crowd at pretty much <laughs> yes, every ground is. except for Lords, right? And so the MCG exactly. often looks completely empty. Um, and as someone who's spent his whole life watching Sheffield Shield cricket, Trust me, I'll tell you when it's empty. <laughs> I've got stories about the MCG being empty you guys haven't even heard of yet. So um, I, I do think that plays a part. The other thing is that, like, this too much cricket thing, it's a, too late now. They've already done the FTP, right? Yeah, exactly. Cricket boards yeah. aren't about to start slashing all these ODI games. In fact, the reason we still have so many ODIs and so many T20 bilateral series is because none of these boards made as much money as they thought they were going to off their franchise yeah. leagues, right? It's So instead of being sensible and going, okay, maybe if we manage the franchise leagues better, we can get more money there. They were like, no, 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 we'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just do both. Yeah. And we'll do as much yeah. as we can of both. And so was it, I think there's less days of cricket, but more games of cricket in the current FTP mm. than the last one. It's so. Like, how are you even fitting all this in? Like you, you've just done this. And at a certain point we have, uh, I think culturally as a cricket uh, collective, and this affects uh, casual fans, even if it takes a lot longer for it to happen. But I think culturally from almost 2007 onwards, ODI cricket has become the third format, right? And yes, yes, I, yeah. I would say the reason that it didn't, die off completely is because uh people still like to go to one day internationals in australia england and south africa maybe new zealand and get drunk and in yeah. asia <laughs> the 100 ads actually added yeah. up to be worth more than the 40 ads of t20 cricket even if you had Easy. more people watching in t20 cricket and all those sorts yeah. of things right so from that perspective those were the two things keeping it together what wasn't keeping it together was cricket fans because Cricket mm. fans have kind of already made their decision that T20 cricket is a slightly better format and test cricket is the best format. And so one day cricket was always stuck in the middle. And then you have just the ridiculous nature of South Africa playing India five minutes in, in one day cricket, five minutes before a T20 World Cup. 
And then yeah. Australia playing England five minutes after England have won a T20 World Cup in one day cricket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even if, yeah. if there wasn't too much cricket, that would be a problem. Yeah. And, and just look at the schedule for um, Australia next year. They go and play four test matches in India, stay back to play three ODIs, then Ashes, uh, maybe a World Test Championship final. Then they go back to India to play three more ODIs and then the 50-over World Cup. Uh, I mean, it's... It's bizarre when you look at it. Uh, and now that the ODI Super League at our post-2023 has, uh, has been dissolved, uh, it's, it's up to countries to just you know come up with their own bilateral ODI series, if I'm not mistaken, right? So, which I think we're going to see more of this. And, and look, ODI cricket in India still will get crowds. I mean, that's just the nature of... There are just enough mm. Indians to fill up any cricket ground anywhere in the world, but especially in India. I mean, all those six ODIs, I mean, nobody's going to talk about overkill at that point. We are not going to have a, uh, a any of those ODIs wherever they get played uh, where the, the, the organizers will struggle to sell tickets. But that's just the nature of uh, how cricket gets consumed in India and, and large parts of the subcontinent. I mean, even the... ODIs that Australia played against Pakistan after the Test Series, even though the the fizz was gone because it was so there was so much hype around the Test Series, it was still a full house. I mean, the ODIs that Australia played in Sri Lanka, uh, despite the economic crisis and all of that, full house. So it's 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 different. I mean, in the subcontinent, and, and, and you're right. I mean, you, it's important to put it into perspective. Uh, the time of the year and, uh, you know, the size of the stadium, like you said, uh, 10,000, 20,000, 15,000 at Trent Bridge is a full house, right? Uh, so I I, I I don't think one day cricket is going to die ever, right? I, I, I'm sure you agree with me, Jared. It's 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 still a very, At the very, very least, I don't think the World Cup would, no. Oh, no, no chance. And even bilateral one day cricket, uh, maybe it'll just be the no. big teams or whatever you want to call them. They'll play each well, other. I, or, I think... Um, my guess is going forward, I suppose this depends on the financials and how many players you can get available. But before World Cups, teams are going to have to play bilaterals as friendlies to, yeah. to warm up for those tournaments. What will probably what should happen is that you know you shouldn't be playing one day as now, or we shouldn't be playing one day as before the T Twenty World Cup, and vice versa, because no. that doesn't make yeah. any sense. But that was also because they had the Super League, which is a, a great idea in principple. But be yes. being that they gave it up straight away doesn't mean anything. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, maybe one day we'll get to the point where we don't need a T Twenty World Cup and a one day World Cup, which is possible. Mm. But it, regardless, uh, other than that, I would say one day cricket would remain. But bilaterally, I can't see how it's going to have a cultural relevance within cricket. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, the what again, how do you fit it in? I was thinking about it the other day. The one way it can stay relevant going into the future is you almost have like a, a, a two-month period if they can find it before a 50-over World Cup, like before every 50-over World Cup. And because it's once every four years, I still think they can do it, where everyone just plays a lot of one-day cricket almost to tune up for that World Cup. So it's almost like you create... Yeah interest around that format for that two, three month period uh, or two, three, I would say two and a half, three and a half month period where one and a half months is the World Cup and the two months prior to it kind of lead up to it. But there you go, ICC, that, that's an idea for you that you've, uh, uh, another idea that Jared and Bharat have given you. So maybe you can work on it. But that's that's one way I can see some relevance coming back to bilateral ODIs. But otherwise, like you said, now with the Super League gone as well, yeah, it's going to struggle. 
So while we're talking about one-day cricket, should we talk about Martin Guptill, who I believe is around the 39th or 40th highest scorer in one-day international cricket history? Uh, I'm just trying to look at my stats. I'm not sure. He's high. <laughs> He's made over 7,000 ODI runs. So yes. he announced this week that he wasn't retiring from uh, international cricket, but that he wasn't going to take a contract, which is basically mm. what Trent Bolt said. The only difference yeah. was that Trent Bolt was very much in demand and, and Martin Guptill was probably more of a fringe player at this stage yes. in that. Again, th this is different than Bolt's, I think, in some ways. Because what you have is a situation with a player who is probably more like Ma um, uh, like um, uh, Mitchell McLennigan, where he's he's going, well, I could keep playing international cricket, but if I just played league cricket, I'll probably make slightly more money. Yeah. Right? Or a lot more money, hopefully, but at the very least, more money. Whereas Trent Boltz was a little bit more like, well, I can just have one contract with one um, new board now, which mm. will be Mumbai, and um, yeah. and I'll be looked after for the next few years. Right. So it's slightly different, but all, all from the same family. How many more are we going to see, I suppose, is the next question of how many mm. other players are we going to see who just be like, we don't need central contracts. So one of the big things, I'm sure you've talked to players about this before, and I talked about uh, Michelle about this um, on a, on another podcast recently. But um, one of the big things is insurance, right? Mm. If these players could start to get the sort of money where they can cover their own insurance, or yeah. um, in Trent Bolt's case, I would assume I would assume Mumbai will cover his um, insurance it. for his body yeah. and everything else. That at a certain point, I don't know what the national contract is going to offer those players, and they can still play for the mm. national team. It's just that yeah. uh, they can prioritize franchise cricket. Oh, that's That was always expected to be the way forward, wasn't it, Jared? I mean, uh, we saw the writing on the wall at least a few years ago, uh, just the way uh, league cricket around the world was, uh, was spreading, growing, mushrooming, all at the same time. Uh, and, and yeah, you're right, Trent Bolt, very different to Martin Guptill. I saw Martin Guptill throughout the World Cup um, in the nets, just helping out his other teammates. And you, uh, I, I don't know Martin Guptill at all, but just looking at him, you, you, I got a very resigned vibe from him. That like you know, well, I, this can't last for too long. And now with Finn Allen having come through and New Zealand really investing a lot in him, and so they should. Uh, it only makes sense for if if you are Martin Guptill to see what's out there, like to go. Uh, shopping as uh, Jason Holder told me and we'll talk about him soon uh, once you hit hit a certain stage in your career in, in the modern era you can go shopping and especially if you are Martin Guptill who's got a proven reputation maybe not in the IPL IPL for some reason has never clicked for Martin Guptill he's one of those right Aaron Finch Martin Guptill maybe Aaron Finch is at least captained IPL sides but Martin Guptill I think Aaron Finch had some good years I don't know if Martin yes. Guptill ever had like ever, an no. above par IPL year, did he? Never, never. And like a few times, at least twice, I remember he was a replacement player. So all the more pressure on him to like get, he, he would get two or three games where he had to perform and he couldn't. A couple of times he went for decent money. I think he was with Mumbai at one point, if memory serves me right. But it never has worked. It never worked out for him. But I mean, look, IPL is not the be all end all uh, in today's world. So there's so much. Uh, other cricket happening, uh, like we discussed last time, T10 tournaments and all sorts of tournaments popping up all around the world. So uh, it only makes sense for him to go shopping around. Um, how many more will we see? Many, many more, I think, especially from countries like New Zealand and uh, I mean, West Indies sort of like with everything else, right? They they got the test format before anyone else. They got 
ட்வெண்ட்டி கிரிக்கெட் பிஃபோர் எனி ஒன் அல்ஸ் தேட் ஓடியா கிரிக்கெட் பிஃபோர் எனி ஒன் அல்ஸ் அண்ட் இன் வே நவ் இன் யூ லுக் பேக் அட் இட் த லைக்ஸ் ஆஃப் ப்ராவோ போலார் அண்ட் கேல் ஆல்சோ காட் வேர் வேர்ல்ட் கிரிக்கெட் வாஸ் கோயிங் பிஃபோர் எனி ஒன் அல்ஸ் ரைட் லைக் ஐ மீன் தே த ஸ்டான்ஸ் தே டுக் பை ட்ரைங் டு கெட் தேர் கிரிக்கெட் போர்ட் டு ஆட் கிளாசஸ் டு தேர் கான்ட்ராக்ட்ஸ் விச் வுட் அலாவ் தெம் டு ஃப்ரீலான்ஸ் வென் எவர் தே வாண்டட் டு இஸ் வாட் இஸ் ஹேப்பனிங் டென் டுவெல்வ் இயர்ஸ் லேட்டர் so i think they they sh- they should be looked at as pioneers like you know they started off as being looked at as renegades and rebels but they were pioneers and that's what's happening um sri lanka could be another team that goes down that road uh, if there are good enough white ball players coming through the ranks uh, uh did you see i saw three of them got married together that's pretty sweet by the way overnight i think uh, kasun rajita asalanka and nisanka got married at the same time it was and they all danced together it's quite something yeah Now speak of team bonding now that's that that should be number one like <laughs> number one activity get married if you want team bonding but uh i think it's it's just we're just going to hear more and more of this and i really do think someday jared you and i should just sit and do a long podcast on the importance of insurance i've spoken so much about insurance in the past the biggest difference especially for fast bowlers from the 70s and 80s to now the big game changer is insurance right i mean i've always thought about i put myself in a fast bowler's head in the 70s and 80s especially later in the day when you have to come in for the last spell i'm sure at some point they were wondering even though in the heat of the moment maybe you don't think about these things like if i bowl the two extra overs and i break down that's it for me i'll have to cover my own you know recovery uh, operation surgery whatever and then insurance comes into the picture where a national cricket board takes care of your injuries and your body and it it's a game changer right i'll give you the two extra overs because i know i'll be taken care of so central contracts really changed everything but so did insurance and and uh, and it's not just insurance right the the access to world class physios like so if you are signed up for the mumbai indians um and you are an even uh, it's happened in the past in indian cricket an indian cricketer gets injured during the ipl and there are some indian cricketers who prefer going to their ipl physios and not the indian cricket physio or the physios at the national cricket academy and that clash happened i remember at least 7 8 years ago but now it's i've heard from high profile physiotherapists who worked with high profile international teams who say that yeah i get we get sly messages from some high profile players saying um okay we'll just keep it hush hush we'll just meet in a foreign country where you can treat me because i trust you more than the physio we have right now in the in the national team so uh, that makes a huge difference as well right if you are trend bowl like you said you everything gets taken mm-hmm. care of for you by uh, the mumbai indians or whoever you signed up to i mean i hate to make this all about the insurance as you said you and i could probably do a whole episode but that first west indian strike partly came on the back of the fact that uh, um uh, dwayne bravo was his physio bills weren't going to be paid Mm. um not to mention that uh part of the reason that Nicholas Puran hasn't played any first class cricket is because uh Trinidad uh stopped paying his rehab bills um so i mean, these things are really really interesting and i think it's the reason we haven't had not insurance on its own although i do think insurance is a big part of it yeah. um but i think it's the reason that we haven't had bigger um freelance cricketers so if you look at it mm. i would actually say we've had desperately few freelance cricketers. Yes. Obviously had, you know, the West Indians, you know, there was early pioneers like probably someone like Dirk Nanas, obviously Mitchell McLennigan yeah. uh was someone who did it afterwards. We've had a few, but the reason is that if you're if you're a young player coming well, if you're a player coming through, by the time you're at that point, 
you would have been groomed by a national board and that would have been your safety blanket. And so for a lot of those players of an older age, they just felt like they needed to keep that safety blanket. Whereas I think now what we're seeing is players are like, I don't need to do that. And if we get to Mm. the point where the Mumbai owners own the 100, which is possible, yeah, um, Yeah. you know, Major League Cricket, South Africa, UAE, um, obviously, and the IPL, like and and the Royals are doing the same thing, and and you know the Kings are doing the same thing, and you know all these different teams are doing that. Yeah, I do think at that point the players are going to feel even more comfortable uh, to yeah. to leave national national boards. Um, but I do think I actually think the the progression of it has probably been slower than I would have thought in in two thousand eight two thousand nine. I would have thought by this point, you know, a good percentage of cricketers would be freelance. And I think if you actually, I remember talking to Tamal Mills and thinking he was freelance and he's like, no. And I, th- yeah. and, I, and I said, I don't think there's that many freelance cricketers in the world. It's just not something that we discuss yeah. that much. Uh, certainly not that many outside of the West Indies. All right, let's take a break there. And then after the break, uh, let us talk about Jason Holder. You're back with Jared Kimber and Barrett Sundarason. And uh, you, you caught up with Jason Holder who uh, apparently you two had like a 10-year reunion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it sounds, it sounds kind of weird, but he has been – I remember the first time I met him was at the Champions Trophy in – oh, it must have been 2013. So, what, 11 mm. years back. Yeah. And I remember that Alison Mitchell and um, – oh, God, I've forgotten the name. Who's the, um, the media uh, – Spoons, Philip Spooner from the West Indies. Yeah. I remember them taking me aside and like, you've got to interview this guy. He's so good. And I'm like, well, he's not even going to play. Like, yeah. you know, at that stage, I think he was on Chennai's books that he hadn't really played. And um, I couldn't see how he was going to play. And then you, and he was at a press conference and afterwards, and I was like, oh, I get it now. That's why. Yeah. Cause he does talk uh, in a way that not that many cricketers do. Uh, yes. 10 years on uh, views and recollections. Did you hug each other? <laughs> no, he was very sweaty. It was uh, after a training session in Perth, and I did like, yeah, yeah we've, you know, we've been, um, we've known each other long, or uh, we've known each other long enough for uh, me to know. I don't, I didn't need to hug him to, you know, uh, to complete the reunion uh, at all. So no, no, I, I saw him for the first time, and it's funny he didn't recall this incident. Uh, I saw him for the first time. I didn't meet him in 2011 when I was in the West Indies. They had this Legends of Barbados uh, event. Uh, this is when the late Seymour uh, Nurse um, was was the chief guest. And I think you had the great, late, great Tony Cozier hosting the event. And Carl Hooper was, uh, at that point, in charge of the academy team, the West Indies Cricket Academy team. And now he's doing commentary for uh, this West Indies series. Uh, and the three of them were on the podium. And it was, it was a fun event. Like, they spoke about the history of Barbados and what it meant to West Indian cricket. And um, once that finished... Uh, there was the Q and A session, and I hadn't I hadn't noticed that right behind where I was sitting were the uh, then West Indies under nineteen team. And as soon as they like opened the floor up for questions, the one really long hand went up right behind me, and I turned around and there was this giant or not a giant of a man, but this monster. I mean this. Uh, tall like he was as lanky as he is now i think he's put on some muscle now jason holder he's a little bit stronger but he's still quite lanky he's still quite lanky but back then it was just like this thin long tree uh like a palm tree (laughs) behind me so he just got up and his question was about legacy and leadership and i was like wow impressive and even the 
guys, I mean, Simon Nurse and all were really impressed with this young man. And they were happy that he's West Indies under-19 captain and also from Barbados. Um, and it always stuck with me. And then I think I interviewed him a year later. And this was purely about his uh, cameo appearance in Fire in Babylon, uh, uh, where he is in the opening scenes. You know, you have all these young guys um, like running in. They'll show like this young guy running in and then kind of cut to Ian Bishop or Bertley Ambrose or someone. So Jason Holder is one of the uh, opening cred- opening scenes with his uh, shirt off and just looking very menacing. Uh, and that was the interview. And, and ever since, obviously, he's gone through a lot of ups and downs in his career. And uh, we've, we've always kept in touch. But we've, I, I wouldn't call him a close friend or anything, but we've always kept in touch. We've had that professional relationship. So it was good to like kind of... Uh, me, I bumped into him in Salamanca actually before the World Cup began, and he was, uh, uh, yeah. The first thing he said was, "Man, nothing's changed about you. You still walk around dressed in your PJs." I said, "Yeah, that's true." Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it was late at night, but then we did promise that that, or we did decide that day that we'll do an interview. So it happened yesterday, and it was interesting listening to him. I mean, just. And my first question to him, Jared, in the interview, and it, it hasn't come out yet, it will come out sometime to, later today or tomorrow, was why do you even care about West Indies cricket anymore, right? Like everything that has happened in your life and how you've been treated and how the ups and downs and the good and bad, all of it, but why do you even care about it? And he kind of took a couple of seconds to reflect on it and he said like, I don't know, man, like every time I feel like I don't care, something happens and I'm kind of, you know, it, it's... Uh, I I can't slide back into you know wanting to play for West Indies and caring about the pride and the legacy of West Indian cricket. Uh, and there are some really interesting things he said, which uh, I won't give away, uh, just because of pure respect to Craig Buzz. Uh, uh, you know the interview which should be out later today, but just about having visions. Like you know, every time apparently a couple of times in the last four or five years, he's had moments where he's felt like, let me just give it up. You know, like, let me go shopping around for other options. But then apparently he gets this, these visions where he's, you know, raising his bat as a West Indian cricketer, celebrating a wicket as a West Indian cricketer, and it pulls him right back. And a couple of times those visions have played out in real life, which is kind of quite interesting, actually, listening to him. And you could see he, he was quite, um, I wouldn't say emotional, but he was really intense about how much, not just um, him his contribution to West Indies cricket, but how West Indian cricket is portrayed around the world and how much it matters to him, like, which was quite encouraging to listen to, you know, like from someone who has been there and and he's not like Nicholas Puran, who's been around a while. I know he was captain and all that, but Jason Holder has, and like he said, like he said, when I was growing up, all we could do was play for West Indies, right? We didn't have all these other options. So that's so deeply ingrained in, in in his system as well. So to hear someone like that at 30 talk about how much it still means to him, uh, as a true West Indian fan like myself, I felt like, you know, I felt good. I felt good about life yesterday when I the interview finished and I walked back home. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one as well because he's improved a lot as a T20 player. Yes. But he's all... He's- Definitely not an automatic IPL level player, mm. right? You have to fit him into the right team. 
still a bit awkward where he bowls. His batting is probably, I think his batting is probably underused in T20 cricket. It is. Realistically, yeah. he should probably just bat at, you know, number four or five and use the long levers against the spin. They quite often use him at the end, which I don't think he's that, uh, you know, uh, suited to. He bowls a lot at the death, but I think he goes at almost 11 runs and over, but he takes wickets like mm. every four balls or some ridiculous strike rate when he bowls at the death. So it's kind of not a good death bowler, but he's still not a terrible one. I, I wonder what it would be like if he was 10% better as a T20 player. Uh, mm. Because he, look, I, you know him better than I do, but I've interviewed him a lot over the years. And I would say that I don't have as good a relationship as, as you do with him. <laughs> I think he views, I think he views me as an annoyance. I think I've just been at a lot of West Indies losses. Um, yeah. You know, that, that, that probably being is, the, yeah. and you know, you know what it's like. They don't actually have many big press conferences outside of ICC no. events. No. So, you know, they go to those events and you know what you and I are like, you know, it's uh, so in the 34th over, Jason, you, <laughs> and he's just like, what? Shut up. Yeah, exactly. And they're not used to that sort of stuff. That's not how the West Indies media yes, really questions yes. them. West Indies media is like, you know, why did you not play better? And yeah, we're sitting true. there going, strategically, was that the right yeah, idea? Yeah, true, true. Um, <laughs> he's an incredibly political person. Mm. Uh, and... I've, he's in, very, very polished um, and everything else. But I do wonder if he was just 10% better at T20 cricket, whether he would be as passionate about that. And that's not having a go with him, right? No, no, like, no. At a certain point, it's it, it it's just the reality of, you know, I mean, we all sit there and go, oh, Craig Brathwaite's such a test purist. But Craig Brathwaite's <laughs> sitting there going, True. oh, I'd love to get that IPL money, <laughs> right? There, oh. There is a thing that's out there. So... I, I mean, it's great that he says the right things, but I just think there's a certain point where maybe that's, I don't want to say his level, but he's a fringe top level T20 player compared to Pollard and Narayan and Russell and those sorts of guys. Oh, no, I, I, I'm sure that has something to do with it as well. Uh, but I guess the on, only thing I would say is, he's, like you said, he has really improved his T20 cricket in the last two, three years. So, and he did say this as part of this interview, and I've heard him say, talk about this in the past as well, where he, uh, at 30, he's very happy, you know, fighting for the legacy of West Indian cricket. I don't know, at 32, 33, if he'll be doing the same. And, you know, this also gives him time to uh, work even more on his T20 skills and, and possibly, like, you know, elongate his freelance career whenever that comes. I'm sure it's going to come, right? And he spoke about uh, that, that term he was shopping around at some point, I'm sure. And I th I've read an interview of his from last year where he said that I could have made a lot more money if I had gone that route earlier, which who knows, maybe it's true. Right? I mean, maybe if you do go the freelance route, you get more time to work on your skills. And uh, and the more you play in all these other leagues as well, maybe you just get better at, at that format. So it, it's, 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 there's yeah, no you can doubt. Look at it. I, I, I looked at his record. He, his record got a lot better when he started playing more. So I do yes. think that's, I, I yeah. think he has improved. I just don't think he has the high ceiling um, that some of the other players do. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with, uh, yeah, and you know, it's a uh, he's been running in and bowling lots of overs in test cricket and other formats for, for over 10 years now. So I'm sure that will catch up at some point as well, unless he can somehow transform himself into this power hitter, uh, which is not his game. He's actually a classical test batter, if you look at him. He's a beautiful batter to watch, but uh, and I'm sure he's going to enjoy these Australian wickets. But 
if he can do that, maybe spend the next couple of years just working on his power hitting. Maybe, you know, uh, he's, he's a good guy to have around the camp. He's calm and he's relaxed and he brings that uh, calmness to the setting. And and he's been a, I mean, let's face it, he's been a captain at international level for, or he was for six years, seven years during some really uh, interesting times in West Indian cricket. So he, he does have that extra value add to him as just to have him around the dressing room. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how his uh, career goes. Uh, and I don't know whether we'll see another Jason Holder like cricketer play this long for West Indies. And by Jason Holder like cricketer, I mean someone who's an all-rounder who can do both. Right? If if say you are a young um, 21-year-old coming through the ranks and you're not Craig Brathwaite, but you're like more like Jason Holder, I'm sure you're looking at the modern world and you're thinking, wow, if I work on either one of my skills a little more, I could be the next Andre Russell. Like, you know, do you want to be the next Andre Russell or do you want to be the next Jason Holder? I mean, I'm sure uh, there'll be young kids in the Caribbean who, who might want to be either. But uh, that's the question, I think, uh, that uh, is being asked right now in at the junior level. And one thing he did say was like, um, I did ask him at some point, I said, like, does the West Indian concept still work for you? I mean, I said, you were born in independent Barbados, right? Um, so I remember the late Tony Kozier telling me about how that is a bigger challenge than this whole urban legend of people just going and playing basketball, which is not, I don't think that's, there is some truth to it, but I don't think that's the not ultimate true. truth. Yeah, It's not true. I've done the numbers. Exactly. It is not true. It's it not, is not true. Like, I, I promise you, it's, it's just not true. It, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, but yeah, I've done the numbers. And, it's not true. Yeah, and Tony Gozier used to get really annoyed with it, that narrative as well. And but he he always felt that it's a question of all these yeah the and this is where back in ten, back ten years ago uh, when he used to say this to me. So uh, will these kids who are born in like these independent nations want to be part of this collective, which? Um, is not doing too well. I think that was uh, and that was my question to Jason, and he felt like he's met like a few young cricketers in the CPL, uh, some young 18, 19 year olds who are still striving to play for the West Indies at this point, and he felt that that's a good sign. But we'll see how it goes. Like you know, it's um, West Indian cricket is always uh, interesting that way. It, it it always sways from one side to the other. Yeah, I mean, I've, I find it quite interesting. I've just done a whole episode with Michelle on this and we sort of attacked on the other end. If you are a young West Indian cricketer from whichever country you're from, yeah. right? If you're, if it doesn't mean anything to you and so because it doesn't mean anything to you and your generation, it dissolves, West Indian cricket becomes really irrelevant really quickly. Yeah. And you could argue that it's already on its way to irrelevance that one day side is terrible. Their T20 yeah. side <laughs> doesn't look much better. Their test yeah. side has done okay, but the guy who got them there as coach is now left. So yes. who knows if they'll be able to keep that that sort of patchy form going. Um, but yeah, it's it really is. And if you're from Trinidad, Barbados, Guyana, Jamaica, you should be one way or another between the best 10 mm. and 20 teams in the world and most of the formats, right? But those teams don't get a lot of airtime. Mm. But if you're from any of the other islands, like that's it. That's uh, it. Those are they're never going to have no. huge moments in cricket again. The whole thing's really interesting from that perspective. It's also a really hard thing to split up because you basically all of those boards, well, the all the 
independent boards would have to give back the ICC money. Yeah. They split up. So from a political and a financial point of view, good luck getting people to give back money or, mm-hmm. or, or say no to, uh, you know, hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars over the next few years. So it is, it is really weird. Uh, let's leave it there, mate. And, uh, uh, we'll have one more break, and then after the break, uh, I want to talk to you about. Uh, uh, I was going to say six sixes in and over, but it was seven sixes <laughs> in and over, wasn't it? All right, you're listening to Uncovered, Jared Kimber and Barat Sundarisen. Uh, Rusaraj Guy Quad uh, hit seven sixes in and over, and uh, I don't even know the name of the bowler because I didn't look him up because I, I don't want to remember his name. <laughs> No one wants to be remembered for this sort of thing. Uh, but what a, a, for those who didn't see, absolutely magnificent that a left-arm finger spinner uh, managed to bowl a no-ball in the middle of an over uh, where he was getting smashed everywhere. The other thing I noticed about the over was, Barrett, that he um, he really didn't change his length exactly. or lines all that much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he just assumed that eventually uh, Guy Quad was going to miss hit one. I get it. I just think I would have tried a few more things. And we, you know, we've seen some of the other. There was, there was also, I don't reckon he bowled one of, you know, like 110k an hour ball or anything. He no, just no. really rolled through that over, hoping something would come right. What's the most runs you've ever gone for in an over? Ooh, I have gone, I, I have bowled a couple of overs which went for like 22, 23. I remember it, it happened in one season where, uh, uh, both times, but there were quite a few wides involved as well. Like, you know, with my bowling action, if I was off rhythm, uh, like the great Mitchell Johnson it. once said, uh, agreed with me. This, Apart from doing our podcast together, we also uh, bowl left arm. I'm, he's left arm fast and left arm, I would say. I'll stop at that. Uh, but I once showed him a clip of my action and he was like, what is that? I said, look, when I got it right, I was unplayable. When I didn't, I went all over the shop. He's like, man, that's the story of my life. So I think that's also a reason where we bonded over our bowling actions. But um, yeah, I remember it's at whatever level you're playing, you bowl some overs where you know, right, after the second ball, oh, I just want to finish this over, man. Like, this is not going, this is not going right. Like, yeah, and you just want it to end. Uh, and I'm sure it happens at every level, whether you're playing under eights or if you're playing test cricket or first class cricket or list day cricket. Like, uh, I think Shiva Singh is the name of the bowler, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he will go down in. Uh, is that, I, I, I did look it up briefly, but I it's already gone from me. I, yeah. Usually I focus more on the bowlers of those overs. Yeah, I mean, just like because Raj, when. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, oh. Indian Express says Shiva Singh, the 360-degree yep. bowler. <laughs> so, well, I don't know what a 360-degree bowler is. I'll have to read up about Shiva Singh, but uh, I've never heard of a 360-degree bowler before. But so, uh, yeah, I mean, he'll go down in uh, alongside the likes of Malcolm Nash and Tilak Raj. Not so much Stuart Broad, uh, I guess, just because, you know, it was Stuart Broad. Uh, and what about the Dutch bowler who conceded 6-6 to Herschel Gibbs? Uh, I, I don't remember his name. Yeah, the 2000. Was that a leg spinner? Leg spinner when done. I think it was Ooh, B-U-N-G. No, yeah. So, so but, I went for I went for 34 runs in and over. Wow. Okay. And the first first five balls went for six. Oh. And I still to this day think the guy I was bowling to, out of pity, chipped the last ball. 
I think he'd hit six sixes in an over before. Oh, before, no, no, and no, he no, was no. he was way better cricketer than me. He was a he was a semi professional cricketer, and I was about fifteen or sixteen at the time. And I think off the last ball of the over, he just chipped one away. And even <laughs> then, it went about five meters from going for a six. But he certainly could have done it. And I just remember the helplessness of yes of what I could do, especially as a wrist spinner. Like I can't bounce him. Yeah. Right. And I tried leg spin, and I tried wrong ends. I tried quicker ones and I tried wide and it just, it didn't matter. But I actually hit six sixes in an over. Oh, really? um, I I was playing a tournament and this poor part-time off spinner came on and I bludgeoned him for six sixes. And when we all went back to the change rooms afterwards when the tournament had finished and every person who came through just ripped him and he quit cricket about a year and a half after that. Oh, and I'm yeah. not saying it was because of that. Yeah, yeah, but in yeah. that year and a half, it, it was mentioned so often. And almost from the first time people, like when I was out there, I remember the wicketkeeper was saying to me, you can't stuff this up. You have to do this. <laughs> yeah. I remember the last ball, it was just like I'd hit some nice shots, but the last ball was just an utter slog because I just had to swing as hard as I could. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone went crazy. And the minute we got off the field, I felt so bad for this guy. <laughs> um, and, and like we were linked as like uh, 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 from then on in. Uh, yeah, and so I've always always thought more of the uh, of the bowlers than I have of the batters in that situation. But I mean, Guy Quad, I had a look. He's got a I know, only person in the world who's going to say this. He's got a really good boundary ratio. Um, he's got. He <laughs> yes. actually, if you look at his profile, yeah, yeah, he profiles a little bit more like a West Indian player than like a, a standard Indian player. There's actually a lot of those guys now. I don't. You remember we we had the India con- conversation last week, and I've been going through a lot of the players mm. in India. It's r- remarkable how many players they now produce who don't rotate strike very well, yeah, but hit boundaries, but don't hit them quick enough to actually score at a really good rate. So Prisby Shaw is the guy who does that. And the rest of them are a little bit more stuck in this sort of anchor position. But Guy Quad was certainly someone who came up on my ratio of hitting um, uh, good balls. But uh, yeah, um, it just sucks. Uh, At least in yours, you bowled some wides. And for those who haven't ever seen Barat bowl, (laughs) it is worth trying to track down any footage of Barat bowling because the combination of his action and his hair is just an absolute sight for anyone. And I remember the first time, I think we were at the Oval, yeah. yeah. So any cricket ground I go to, when they have press conferences in the, in the nets, I always go rooting around for a ball yeah, just so yeah. that, you know, because we've got nothing else to do. <laughs> and I remember the ball being thrown to you and just being like, well, this is, this is absolutely, this, this bowling actually brings me nothing but joy. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it did, it did bring me a lot of joy, but there were those days where like, yeah. and, and you know, when you are going through that over, you know when uh, it's really bad and it's really hopeless when, uh, it, when when the ball comes back to you, whether it's the captain or whoever's at mid-off or mid-off, just throws you the ball and doesn't even look at you. It's like, no, because the, when you start an expensive over, after whatever stage of the match, after the second ball, even if you've gone for eight runs or 12 runs, there'll be some encouragement. Be like, it's all right, man. It's all right, whatever. Chalega, yaar, chalega, whatever. But after like balls three and four, there's nothing from like you know the ball goes through it either even if you, you lose just the cons- room yeah you lose the room and you just know that it's you it's you 
the and it's not even like the focus is on you. Like people just want this to end. Like not for your sake, but for their sake. Like <laughs> you're the villain of the piece here. So it's not a nice feeling at all. So uh, I do feel for uh, Shiva Singh, but. Man, I've been fortunate to see a bit of Ruturaj Gaikwad in the IPLs, really, in the last couple of years because I've done some watch-along stuff. Uh, and, and there is something... You're right. I mean, he's such a serial boundary hitter. Hits a lot of sixes as well uh, at the top of the order for, for Chennai. And, and one of those guys, I've seen him hit boundaries of everyone, right? Like, you know, there are some domestic cricketers from India who will come through the ranks and... Uh, they'll hit hit the other fellow domestic bowlers or even like a couple of international bowlers well. But then they'll come up against a, a Rabada or back in the day, Dale Stain. And suddenly you'd be, they, they'd get found out. But not this guy. I've seen him like do it to everyone. And he's played, I think, a handful of international games. But yeah, he could... I mean, there are so many who... You know, you look at the Ryan Parag, who comes in for a lot of criticism, is another one of those. He's hit what three or four hundreds in the Vijay Azare Trophy, and and the one good thing that has happened in Indian cricket and I think global cricket, Jared, is this whole uh, uh, all these domestic games being uh, digitally streamed. So you're not just hearing about them. Like now, you can actually watch these guys and do see what. What real they are made of? I mean, I'm sure there are IPL scouts all around the country doing that as well. But even for people like you and me who are in the in the profession of writing about them and kind of figuring out why they are scoring so many runs, we can see them do that. I think that really is that's just been a big game changer. No, I mean I absolutely love it. I mean I remember doing stats um, on I must have been looking up New Zealand cricket and Kyle Jameson's name came up and I'd never seen him. And you can literally Google, you know, and this is like 2017, 2018, Glenn Phillips and Kyle Jamieson. And mm. there's just bunches of New Zealand clips of A games and domestic games. And I don't think people actually realize how much good cricket footage is out there. Like, it, you know, Muhammad Wazim comes in and you hear the commentators say things like, well, you know, don't know much about him. It doesn't actually take that long to look up the clips and get a good idea of who these players are. Um, so if you are a keen cricket fan and you hear a name, you can, you know, you definitely find them uh, quite soon after that. Anyway, mate, I will let you get down. I was going to say to the Wacker, but I'm assuming it's per stadium these days. Um, and uh, I will go to bed, but I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> yes, you will. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, they, they do it strange though. They train at the Wacker two, three days leading into the test. But the day before the test, they always go to the Optus. It's, it's kind of weird how that works out. They can't get away from those magical whacker nets. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for listening to the 99.94 Network. Cricket every day. Remember to download our app or just search for your favorite team at 99.94 where you find podcasts on Google or YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts, and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account.